0: Welcome to Slime House, a podcast rated PG for crude humor, outrageous hijinks, mild language. I'm Hannah.
1: I'm Jasper. I'm Jared.
2: I'm Max. I'm Nelson, and we are celebrating a birthday this week. Mr.
1: Jasper, happy birthday. Thank you, thank you. As in true slimehouse tradition, the boys let me pick a birthday movie this week and I chose Burnbomb Classic Mouse Hunt and of course we couldn't talk about Mouse Hunt without bringing my sister on the show Hannah. So thank you for joining Hannah from all the way over from Boston.
0: Thank you. The Smuntz
1: brothers have inherited their father's
2: old house.
0: I'm sorry, pop, honey.
2: <laughs> Fixing it up could bring them a fortune. We can make seven, eight hundred thousand easy. Oh, man, smart. Our future is staring us in the face, and all we have to do is grab it, baste it, and scarf it down. There's just one small problem. Hello. Hello. Ah! Ow! Ow!
1: So in Mouse Hunt, after inheriting a priceless house from their father, two Stumblebum brothers find a very big problem standing in their way of selling the house for millions. A very clever mouse.
3: This one was directed by Gore Verbinski, who's most well-known for directing the original Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy. Also, Lone Ranger reboot. Did a movie I like quite a lot with Nicolas Cage, the weatherman. Uh, this was his feature film debut after he first came to prominence for creating the Budweiser Frogs from a famous campaign of Budweiser ads. (laughs) Uh, This was a DreamWorks production, actually their first family film, which is interesting as they came to be known very much for their family animated films. It was produced by Bruce Cohen, who's done some slime. He did the Flintstones movie as well as Hook, written by Adam Rifkin, who's written a good amount of slime too. He, He wrote Small Soldiers, Zoom, and Underdog. And this was actually scored by a very renowned composer, Alan Silvestri, who was a frequent collaborator of Robert Zemeckis, scored the Back to the Future movies. Also scored a lot of slime, actually. Mac and Me, Cop and a Half, Richie Rich, Stuart Little, a most recently Night at the Museum. So a lot of slime in Silvestri's back catalog.
4: The cast of this movie, the two Stumble Stumblebum brothers, are played by Nathan Lane in his first and probably not last appearance on this show. Lee Evans, who is a big character actor and stuff like There's Something About Mary, then The Medallion. We got Michael Jeter from Airbud, Frank Welker as the voice of the mouse. William Hickey, who the movie is dedicated to. This was one of his last roles and he plays the father. But a special little guest performance in this movie by Mr. Christopher Walken as an exterminator who valiantly tries to thwart the mouse's plans. This movie came out in 1997 Um, It actually came out a week after Home Alone 3 did, which is interesting to me because I feel like this movie in a lot of ways is like, it's an alternative approach to the Home Alone formula. So Jasper, we want to hear about your
1: relationship with this movie, what it means to you. Go for it. So the reason I picked this, this is an all-time favorite for me, Slimehouse or not. I watched it countless times as a kid. I remember it very well. Hannah and I probably wore out that VHS. And I still quote it with Hannah and and you know my folks. They know that we love this. That was this was the first movie my dad when I told him kind of the the premise of the show. He said, oh, "Are you going to do that mouse trap movie that you like?" So I, I felt like we had to do it at some point. It's funny when we first got it. I very I remember very vividly. So this movie came out in in the fall of 1997, which was at the same around the same time as Flubber, and at that time it took about a year for movies to come out on home video and so when they both of these kind of came out on home video at the same time in later in 1998 that fall so i remember we were at costco and i could only get one of one of either mouse hunt or flubber and i had to choose and i chose flubber and when i got home i immediately regretted it because i knew in, in my heart i really wanted mouse hunt so very near and dear to my heart and 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 rewatching this movie too i just realized how formative it was for me i haven't seen this in 15 or so years to be honest so many little pieces of my sense in humor and what i kind of like in the tone of a movie and a tone of a story can be kind of i think traced back to this movie because it's a darker kids movie but nonetheless it's still super accessible for kids and families so hannah what do you remember about this movie watching it together
0: I feel like I should just list a few of the quotes that I remember that, that are like heavy hitters for you and I. And I feel like we pick up the, the most ex, like obscure quotes um, to find memorable. Like, I feel like I didn't really pay attention to the true plot of the movie as a child. Obviously, the more like adult issues, like the financial troubles, you know, like the gold digger girlfriend or the idea that the mouse is kind of like this representation of the father's spirit in a way, or like a conduit for the father. But also on a more lighthearted note, um, I feel like this movie in like a very subconscious way might have influenced my like love of cheese as a kid.
2: I want to, I want to kind of uh, like have you elaborate more on the humor bit and how it influenced that. Cause it, it, I I've seen the movie. I saw it when it came out and and I I liked it. it. It, it wasn't like, one that stuck with me clearly. And i and probably cause I was a little older than you when I saw it, I think I, I remember just, we just rented it randomly when I was probably like nine or 10. Maybe if I'd seen it at age six, it would have had a more seminal influence, but I just wanted to pry for both you a little more on like what's parts of the movie really like left that lasting
1: humor impression. First of all, you know, kids think slapsticks funny. And I think the slapstick in this movie is actually extremely well done, but it's not overly goofy. You know, like the scene where Christopher Walken is getting dragged through the house by his mouse hunting machine and his face is ripping up all the floorboards. Like, I used to think that was hilarious as a kid.
0: It's the opposite for me. It's terrifying. I, I don't think I ever told you this when when we were younger, but I thought that part was like his face was like really scary <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
4: um
0: like especially like when he's being taken away in the green and like it's just like that aerial view really messed up face and i just it, it just like was really something really specifically scary about that for me but on a note of humor i feel like you and i jasper we kind of latch on to like to delivery the words are juxtaposed with delivery like for example when alexander falco says vegetarian snuck you know um it's just like a <laughs> random thing to say or request but saying it in that really formal voice just like kind of the dissonance between the two things between delivery and content i feel like that's kind of part of the humor that you and i share
1: yeah no i i, <laughs> I really like that you said it very much better than i could say Hannah. i think there's there is a weird formalism to this movie like it it it's very serious in its tone, even though it is a comedy, like it knows it's funny, but it just kind of lays the jokes very straight. The idea that you can make jokes but pretend that you're not making jokes, I think, is very interesting and funny to me. Whether that makes this less slimy or not, I think, is an interesting debate. I was watching it
2: with an ear to the ground for that type of thing, and and I was having trouble honestly because it, it's it's really minute stuff. But the one one line that I thought kind of sounded like something I could hear Jasper saying was when they're they think they've got the mouse captured, River, and they say. Ah, oh, i'm almost gonna miss that mouse and then the two brothers at the same
1: time go almost and then i didn't i don't even remember that line but there's lots of lines and in... it's funny because i was watching this and maybe hannah can attest and if you guys too, max george chime in i know max this is a, a favorite of yours too how much of this movie just like felt like the back of my hand and i haven't seen this in a decade and a half you know like just the just the intonation of some of the delivery, as Hannah was saying, just felt like, man, like I I remember exactly how this is gonna go, um, and and in the best way possible, you know, in, in a very loving way.
4: Well, I I remember seeing this in theaters, Contra Costa C- Cinema in Martinez, California, to be exact. I and then I remember it being on a daycare favorite, got played quite a bit, and I remember like individual moments of this movie, like like and pieces like this movie felt revisiting this last night felt like a half remembered dream that you just kind of re-explore subtract and hard to explain but like what i'm thinking particularly of like the scene where you see the mouse's lair and you know you see him like you know tuck himself into bed he has like a nice little daydream about going to hawaii i remember that scene very vividly and how it just kind of like violently ends I don't remember like the actual like narrative of the movie that well or it's it's a weird mix of like what has stuck with me which is mainly like the imagery and like the style of the film as you were saying. There's definitely some stuff in this that went way over my head when I was 5 like there's an implied sex scene like straight up and like stuff like that. So it was definitely a trip to see this again.
3: Yeah, I actually didn't see this movie when I was younger. I actually came into this movie a lot later as a kid. I remember seeing the dvd box like of it that shows the mouse and like the chef hat holding like an olive on a toothpick and stuff and it just i feel like that made it look like a way more like little kid kind of movie that i wasn't as interested in like by the time i was watching movies um but i kind of like watched a bunch of gore verbinski movies in college just because i liked Uh, a lot of like the set pieces in the Lone Ranger movie and I remember his movie The Cure for Wellness was coming out so I was trying to catch up on this stuff and I liked this one a lot but watching it this time I think I was able to appreciate it the most I have of any of my viewings just because like I hadn't last time I saw that I wasn't really familiar with a lot of like classic comedy like the Laurel and Hardy type stuff like coming a little later like Preston Sturges screwball comedy kind of stuff and This feels like, even more than it feels like a family film to me, it feels kind of like an attempt to replicate that style of humor and that type of movie, both in, like, the slapstick is very Laurel and Hardy Three Stooges, but then, like, the main plot about the house feels very sort of, like, screwball comedy, like, just sort of making fun of, like, high society people feels very, like, classic to me, and I just... This movie just feels very old fashioned in a way that I like a lot. And I think that makes it a lot less slimy than it could be. But I think it improves the movie. I think it's a great movie. It's funny because as a kid, I don't think I realized
1: how old fashioned it played because this was one of the first movies I ever watched, frankly, Um, you know, at least in the first, you know, like 50 that I ever watched. So it just felt like a normal movie to me. But this was after watching it this time, I like everything you had to say, Max because it definitely felt like silent film with added sound in a weird way. Just mm-hmm. just the, the antics and the slapstick and just the look too, you know, it just, it felt like like a a classic silent film. And it's even kind of like sepia-toned the whole movie. Like it's like they, they pulled it out of an attic.
3: Yeah, I feel like a lot of the slime tropes as I was watching it and trying to make note of the tropes that showed up, there definitely were... An- lot of tropes in this movie, but I feel like they were all kind of tropes that carried over into slime house from sort of classic and older comedy. It kind of made me consider how influential that kind of comedy stuff is on the slime house and family comedies that came later. And it's interesting that those movies, slapstick comedies back then, were targeted very much towards adults. But as it went on, I feel like you saw way more slapstick in family comedies, and you saw a lot of raunchier humor and stuff like that takeover for comedies targeted towards adults
2: yeah there's an interesting deliberate choice to make it a a kid's movie and yet you could write the same script and have it be more of like a grown-up comedy so to speak but i want to address the color palette and all that because yeah it's it's a very grim looking movie and and it's sort of of interesting to juxtapose like our normal slime house stuff is all about like the bright green slime colored palette and in this it, it's it's quite grim and it closely resembles of, of anything we've covered, it, it most closely resembles the Lemony Snicket movie and what I sort of dubbed as steampunk slime. Um, I think that what's interesting is that it it, like that movie, it also plays with its sense of time where in what time period it takes place in. It's never quite made clear. There's a reference to, like, the 21st century by a character early on and saying, We you know, we want your factory to carry us into the 21st century, which feels like something you would say in 1997. But the rest of the movie has cues that range from the 20s to the 70s, you know. So it, it's, it's very interesting that it gives it this kind of dreamlike, fantasy you know who knows when it takes place feeling mixed with this very moody color palette that is um is very interesting to juxtapose onto a family comedy
1: yeah it's it's very reminiscent i think in this era specifically there's two other movies that stick out that really speak to that point, Nelson. One being the borrowers, which came out the year after this. And then yeah. Babe Pig in the city feels kind of very era anonymous. And so maybe there was something in the water, you know, there, like a, a loving look back at, you know, the twentieth century as we almost moved into the the new millennium.
4: I want to say like the costume design in this movie too feels very like like almost like a mid-20th century kind of like period piece or almost like a, even maybe something before that, like a nineteen twenty Chicago mobster movie, like with the the consulting firm that comes and tries to take over this factory that the main characters inherited. I I like the point about how it's pulling from a lot of different kind of visual ideas from different parts of 20th century Americana. And like, I thought of this, like my, my, my term for this movie was like American Gunge House.
3: Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like there's something, despite this being an American movie, that gives it a very British feeling to it I was convinced this was a British movie until I knew who directed it but because I mean I'm pretty sure Lee Evans is a British comic so I think that lends some comedy towards like a lot of the British comedy edge but I think a lot of there's like banter based humor the brothers would sort of be walking around and just kind of like muttering this banter between one another and then just the whole look it has kind of a storybook type feeling in the way that Babe Pig in the City does in kind of its tone And just, yeah, it just felt very British and more like Gunge House kind of than it felt like any American Slimehouse movie we've watched.
4: I thought it was like a smaller, like kind of production studio put this out. And like, that's kind of why it had this kind of like seedy-ear kind of feel to it. Maybe
2: we think these are British feeling because I I thought of like the Dickens novels and how there's that just kind of ashy gray tone to them.
1: It also reminded me of two other movies we've covered, one being Casper. Two people buying or inheriting a house that has something living in it already. And, you know, the antics that those creatures that inhabit that house already put upon visitors or their new neighbors. In terms of just kind of tone, those movies are actually very similar. Casper goes a little bit more gross and a little bit more batty with its humor. But you could put those side by side and they wouldn't feel dissonant. And then another one that it reminds me of mostly because of the weird real estate talk <laughs> is the Haunted Mansion. Because when this movie starts, it's almost like a haunted house movie, which I didn't realize until this time watching it. You know, it's it's they go into this house. They don't know what it is. It's dark. It's dusty. They hear some weird sounds in the attic. There's weird silhouettes of toys. You know, it's kind of scary at first. And then it's only about 20 minutes into 30 minutes into the movie that you realize this is about a mouse you know if you didn't know the title you would think oh this is a haunted house movie
0: um you know thinking about caesar who i almost like into like a paranormal investigator the way that he walks around the house and you know feels like
2: he can sense the mouse you could almost say that it could be called house
3: hunt <laughs>
4: <laughs> Ah, or mal- mouse arrest
3: oh <laughs> it's interesting the opening joke of this movie is a, involves a corpse being, like, flung into a manhole, co- open manhole cover, and shortly afterwards, that's followed by another scene in which, which kind of, at first, you think it's going to be a pretty slimy gag when the mayor bites into the cockroach, and it's, like, just gro- seems like it's going to be a gross-out gag, but then the mayor actually, like, dies from it, and that's also... And it's just interesting, the movie starts out with two really dark guys like two guard like the first 20 minutes are very dark compared to once the mouse shows up and i've never really seen a movie start out at its darkest and then get like more lighthearted. it seems like a bold move to do for like a family movie because i feel like a lot of kids probably be pretty scared by the opening of this and would not continue to see the the hijinks ensue once the mouse showed up it's funny that you mentioned the cockroach scene because i remember watching this with my
2: family and my mom be like, oh, gross, like in that, like having a big reaction to that cockroach scene, which is feels like in a vacuum that feels like slimehouse type of humor with like a big bug.
1: Yeah, that cockroach scene is was very, very memorable to me as a kid. And it actually one of the quotes that Hannah and I would always say is lobster loaf.
3: <laughs> it's like, what is a lobster loaf? That does
1: not sound good at all.
2: <laughs> but I'm curious what are some of the slime house elements that that are at play that stand out hannah
1: what what do you think your since you're a listener of the show and well ingrained with what we used to just call early thousands movies what do you see in this movie that's kind of slimy
0: to think more literally there's a lot of a lot of sludge (laughs) um you know including i know the exploding vacuum the vomit from the mayor when he starts choking on the cockroaches.
1: On the topic of kind of fluids, a centerpiece flood scene, one is kind of, it, you know, it's very like disaster movie in, in some ways, but also it, it feels like something that could only really happen in a slime house movie. You know, they, they try to flood the mouse out of the house by putting a hose in a mouse hole, and then the house basically explodes because there's so much water in the walls. To me, in looking at my kind of slime house education, a very, very pivotal scene for me. A watershed scene? A watershed <laughs> scene, yes.
3: These sort of big set pieces where a fancy event of some kind, like an auction in this case. I think we've seen a few banquets be disrupted, and Babe 2, Pig in the City, has a very prominent banquet being disrupted. Uh, I just feel like it's a slimy climax to have and also something that shows up in a lot of as i was saying like early screwball slapstick comedies there's just a lot of things end with sort of a high society event falling into chaos because of all this slapstick mayhem that ensues and i think this scene is a really good example of that of the auction being interrupted by the water in the walls and i feel like having the water spray out and all that just felt very slimy even if it wasn't a gross substance just having any sort of liquid like drenching a character always rings is pretty slimy we kind of talked about how the the aesthetic isn't
1: necessarily slimy but this plot does feel very slimy and you know there's so many messes in this movie
0: yeah like the, the, the aesthetic is not slimy but um how the the sets and the costumes and the characters change over time like their interaction with the elements is like really slimy like the like once the house basically falls apart like it you realize, like how temporary it was and in a way i kind of associate that with cartoons are kind of arbitrary
1: yeah i mean we talk about that a lot like how slime house movies are live action cartoons not necessarily live action adaptations of cartoons but live action movies with the narrative workings of a cartoon
3: yeah i think the thing that rung most true about that to me and this is there's a scene where one of the things they try to use to eliminate the mouse is bringing in a scary cat, which is termed Catzilla, and is depicted with like very bizarre, both I think a CGI and a puppet at one point. Just this terrifying cat, and the puppet was really cool, I thought. And pretty much this chases the mouse around. Uh, there's one scene in particular where they end up in a piano fighting inside the piano and the keys move, and that felt very much like Tom and Jerry or something of that sort, especially just coming right off of watching the recent Tom and Jerry movie. That really felt like a true live-action cartoon scene.
0: On the note of Catzilla um, and his origins, um, I always thought that Mori was super weird, um, that the guy who worked at The Pound. Um, and I think it, and I was like trying to figure out why I thought he was so hilarious as a kid. And I think it's because of his exaggerated like space costume that's totally unnecessary. Um, and I'm wondering if that's slimy.
3: Yeah, I feel like presenting like an authority figure wearing like a ridiculous thing like him feels very slimy to me. And interesting note about that scene, that actor is actually the voice of Pumbaa and Nathan Lane, as we all know, is the voice of Timon. So it's a a reunion, a Lion King reunion.
4: And he even even says Hakuna Matata at one point in the movie. Oh yeah,
3: he does. There is like a reference. So so there's at least two kind of in-jokes to that. Speaking of Nathan Lane's
2: voice, I couldn't help but he just somehow his voice reminded me so much of Ted Cruz when I was watching this movie. <laughs> and I like couldn't put that away. I, it just felt like, especially the way he's kind of a spin meister at times. I just couldn't yeah. shake that comparison.
4: You're giving Adam McKay an idea for a biopic. Right?
2: I, to the to a few points brought up here, I, I, like with the exterminator location, which is very not even like it sort of has like a factory laboratory feel and all and all that stuff and this is where this movie really goes bold and perhaps why verbinski was later tapped to do pirates of the caribbean where he knows how to do fantastical but not in a way that no one would say oh mouse hunt a fantasy movie they just it like he just immerses you in these like hyper real situations of all types And, and there is, some of that has cartoon roots, that piano scene, which I quite liked is like a very clear joke on, you know, like something that would happen in a cartoon where like they're chasing each other inside a piano, but also having to play music in a funny way. And so it's sort of, it's sort of able to have cartoon sensibilities and also just like, dare I say, visionary sensibilities where it's, it's carving out something quite unique.
3: Yeah, it really does kind of feel more like the Pirates of the Caribbean movies than you would expect from being like two very different movies in plot in that it kind of revolves around a lot of the a lot of the humor comes in the dialogue and just sort of the way the characters are acting and then it's built around these like crazy set pieces that are both like slapsticky but also pretty good action scenes in general. Like I think a lot of these scenes especially you can tell a lot of the mousetrap, there's a scene with like a bunch of mouse traps that you can tell is a practical effect. And so I feel like the set pieces in this are not not only focused on being funny, like I feel like a lot of slapstick in Slimehouse is, a lot of it's just kind of like someone getting kicked in the balls or somebody falling over, very simple slapstick, but this really builds these slapstick scenarios that are like over the top, high concept stuff that I feel like makes sense to me that he went on to make Pirates of the Caribbean because I feel like you can see the roots of a good action filmmaker in, like, the comedy scenes.
0: There's even a treasure map in this movie when they discover the blueprints. That's pretty pirate to me.
3: And this also and also, just the moody look that this movie has even throughout a lot of the more comedic parts, I think. it's it, You can kind of, despite the fact that this was his first movie and that it's a family movie, I feel like you can kind of tell he's... A director to to watch in this as far as just like his visual sensibility goes
2: and and i want to ask a question based on that this this is something i didn't really remember the first time i watched it but the movie clearly has like a supernatural force element in it like for example they flip a coin to see who lands on the bed and it lands in the middle which is this one example of many ways where like the brothers are forced by like forces outside of their control to get along and kind of work together. And and the the resolution ends up being they find this kind of happy medium. But I thought it was fascinating that it it has this kind of like supernatural element to what's going on in it. Like there are bigger forces at play making this all happen. And I just, just wanted to pick your
1: guys' brains about that. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why Casper and Haunted Mansion came to mind a little bit with those kind of supernatural occurrences the one that i always remember is is the portrait of their late father's expression changing all the time i think i can look back at, at, at that gag specifically and say like oh that was one of the more complex jokes i understood as a kid oh that painting is what reflects the mood of the movie you know it's it's not really changing but it's this visual cue of you know how you should be feeling in the movie, how the audience hopefully is interpreting that scene. So yeah, I, I I do really like that kind of supernatural bend to this movie, and I I don't think I picked up on it until much later myself either.
3: Yeah, I like that the mouse is kind of the the purpose he serves in the movie, fascinating kind of key to the movie, and that he both is for a while pretty much the protagonist of the movie. You're definitely rooting for him above the brothers, even if the brothers are the people who you're actually following, like, plot-wise throughout the movie. So I feel like for, like, a kid, they give you the mouse to just be the protagonist. You want him to get away. You want him to get away from the brothers. But the mouse also serves a dual purpose of just being, like, a plot device for the actual plot of the brothers, which is all about, like, fate and having to determine like what to do to not disappoint their father is a major aspect of it i think it's like the mouse sort of serving as a supernatural force to make them learn the lesson i think is an interesting way to look at the movie just to have the mouse in the end he ends up being their their ally and helping them revolutionize their factory to create string cheese so the mouse throughout just sort of serves the purpose of helping them come around and come to terms with what's going on in the movie and it's kind of like, Hannah, you were saying that the, the mouse
1: almost represents the father in a sense.
0: Definitely. He's just trying to bring his sons together. And...
2: speaking of uh, speaking of following the mouse uh, there's some really amazing shots of like going through the different nooks and crannies and through the walls and cubby holes and and stuff that the mouse has which it brings up kind of a recurring slimehouse theme that we have of almost like the Rube Goldberg machine but there's something about like the miniaturization and how the mouse has this intricate alleyway system that he he has navigated and That is a sort of a wish fulfillment. That's the type of thing that as a kid would be like, oh, that's so cool that the mouse has all this setup going on. And then paired with a Rube Goldberg Goldberg machine in action, which is the the String Factory, which remind me a ton of the Willy Wonka opening credits. They almost have the same kind of pairing where we see the string being made um, in this very whimsical and hyper real fashion i doubt this is i doubt string factories have quite as many bouncing directions as this one does and so just emphasis on the eccentricities and the complexities that both the mouse and the string portray felt somewhat slimehouse to me but very interesting to me nonetheless
3: yeah just sort of going back to what you mentioned about the mouse having these sort of interconnected holes like these tunnels within the house that have a real diy feel i think that Something as we've watched more animal movies, because that's one I haven't watched as many of the genre of, I realized that in the ones that really humanize the animals, like this does, the animal, regardless of whether they talk or not, because in this movie the mouse is completely silent, sort of takes the position of a kid that a kid would hold in a lot of normal Slimehouse movies, because in this one it's very much he's sort of the rebellious character fighting back against these guys that want to take his house who are very like fuddy duddy kind of guys. And he, you're very much rooting for the mouse and the way you brute for the kid he's using. I mean, this has a lot of similarities to home alone is a very key thing to this movie. I think to kind of point to.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was watching this and one of my notes is literally, this is home alone, but the mouse is Kevin McAllister. Uh, who's Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone? Like it's literally about a, you know, the mouse is home alone, and then these two guys are coming into his house, and then this mouse sets up a bunch of traps to like stop. It. <laughs> and they're, they're wet bandits in both cases. They are wet bandits. They are wet bandits, and they actually, you know, and then whenever they try and set up traps traps just clap onto them that's actually one of my favorite scenes is 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 the mouse trap scene and that i remember yeah. specifically that was my mom's favorite scene when we went and saw it in theaters hannah you were probably too young to see it in theaters i don't
0: think i was there
1: that was that was my mom's favorite scene is when the the mouse trap gets stuck on lars's lip
3: <laughs> oh yeah yeah i think that's the the, the dynamic between these two reads is very slimy to me too i feel like For some reason they're often relegated to sidekicks but in this case they're the main character. A lot of Slimehouse movies, Flubber for example and of course Home Alone have this comedic duos that sort of share the dynamic of these two which feels very I mean this movie directly has Nathan Lane at one point do kind of a Laurel and Hardy and Oliver Hardy bit with his tie when his hat flies away and he's sort of chasing after it to go talk to some women. That's something that Oliver Hardy did and I think the dynamic kind of started there of having kind of like the sh- pudgy guy and then the tall guy who's like goofy and then like the shorter guy takes himself more seriously that we see in home alone and we see in this. And I think that's a dynamic that's both very slimy and very classic. And I feel like that's one that I saw that, for example, that I think carried over from older comedy into slime house.
0: Yeah. I think that, um, sort of contrasting um, funny duo is the erosion of language. Like by the time like they're blowing holes in the floor, they're squeaking and they're blabbering. And I feel like in a way, when that's taken away, like their ability to communicate because they're just so exhausted by all the disasters start to talk to each other for real.
1: Yeah, I like that point because one of our favorite scenes as kids was when they both returned from their respective chambers of defeat, I guess. Uh, Ernie being blasted into the pond outside from the, the fireplace <laughs> and Lars, Lee Evans's character, being blasted back into the wall from the fire from the fireplace. And when they kind of finally come back into the house, all they kind of talk in is these like...
0: Uh, eh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I remember as a kid thinking that was just, like, funny sounds being funny, you know? And I think we talk about that a lot in Slimehouse, just, like, the sounds people make are, are played for humor a lot more in Slimehouse than they are in other movies.
0: Honestly, the squeaking kind of remind. And I recently watched Roger and Hammerstein's Cinderella, and it reminded me of Whoopi Goldberg's character. She plays the queen. Sounds exactly the same.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel, like, I feel like a lot of that mugging into just, like sustained screaming yeah very slime house and very consistent and i think we've seen it in a lot of these movies especially ones that involve characters being frightened of something And I, I keep just thinking going back it's very interesting how much this sort of mimics the haunted house slime house movies we've seen hannah you texted me a good bit about uh
1: the amount of holes in this movie too
0: yeah so i'm i'm a very like visual person and, and art school so that kind of like trains me to like see patterns um (laughs) and uh I just noticed there's a lot of holes um you know whether it's Lars's mouth that's constantly open um whether it's in fear or just like surprise shock um you know the hole in the cereal box the hole in the floor there's just like a lot of variation in scale of all these holes, but holes in the wall and also a hole in the ice when the bathtub makes its final plunge.
2: And are there holes in the plot as well? <laughs> Just,
0: oh, that's a good that's question. A,
2: I, <laughs> that's a really interesting observation. And I wouldn't have I wouldn't have put all them together it wrapped up because i I'm, I think I'm more literal at times in my visualization of things, but that's really cool to think about. Yeah, the holes, whether it's from a mouth to the
3: i feel like holes are very like a very cartoon sort of form to me just like i feel like when i think of a hole i think a lot of like looney tunes of characters like busting through the wall and leaving a hole shaped like them or a lot of the times i feel like a character will have like a hole that's actually like fully formed and like put it on the ground and jump in and then bugs bunnies always popping out of holes i feel like holes are just to feel like a source of a good cartoon gag because anything could like pop out at any time it kind of gives you that element of surprise for stuff well you're the expert i just hope you can take care of this whatever it takes we've been trying to catch this little menace all week
0: here's your
3: problem normal people are not psychologically psychologically equipped to catch mice
1: you have to get inside their mind you have to know what they want need a mouse Rounding out the cast we haven't talked much about so we talked a little about the exterminator played by christopher walken but one of the scenes as a kid that i thought was so so funny was when he eats the mouse poop and i don't really think I really understood exactly what he was doing. So on this viewing, I was kind of really watching that scene closely for maybe some like hidden jokes or hidden references. But it's really again, played straight. He's just this weird guy who takes these bizarre notes, oh, calcium deficiency and like (laughs) eats mouse poop. And as a kid, you think it's funny because he's just eating mouse poop. But (laughs) this time, I thought it was even funnier because he's just like such a strange guy. And such like a quirky character funnily
2: enough before we saw it that was the only thing i knew about it someone told us like there's a scene where the guy eats mouse poop and so it was like it was like be warned you know um but it does a dual purpose it sets up a gag later in the movie at the banquet when one of the the hoity-toity guests says it's interesting you added raisins to these crepes <laughs> but is kind of a slimehouse thing in general to like poop
3: (laughs) yeah I feel like I feel like Christopher Walken is used well in this movie because I feel like he's become such an actor that like you throw in for like a bit part just to like have a weird quirky guy and a lot of the time I feel like it kind of feels phoned in but I feel like this movie both uses him well and he's really giving a inspired performance as just this absolutely like weird guy but not so over the top that it rings as too cartoonish just kind of a down-to-earth type of weird guy that plays more straight and again another thing i feel like makes this movie something i enjoy more but again less slimy i feel like they could have played the poop eating scene so much slimier than they did but instead it's just slimy only by the virtue of being a scene where someone eats poop yeah
1: and to hannah's point earlier about that scene being really scary the i did actually find the ending of that scene really scary when he's being hauled off into the ambulance and he's just kind of shouting gibberish and he's like, makes those like weird biting faces at Nathan Lane. And it was just like really frightening. And again, goes back to kind of the haunted house thing. He's Mm -hmm. been possessed by whatever's in the house or he's like scared silly. You know,
4: I I, I had to rewind that scene and put the subtitles on because I had no idea what he was talking about.
3: Yeah, I also think the scene in The Pound that precedes the scene is very dark, where it's just, there's a little girl screaming, it's kind of, it's it's implied they're ga- gassing cats, and just, that's a very, <laughs> it's a very grotesque scene in the movie, maybe the darkest of all the things in
2: it. Yeah, it's funny, I remember Brad Selberling calling talking about tonal tightrope movies, and how, you know, he just was trying to, like, get away with making movies that were you know, had a lot of mature stuff in them, but were still for kids. And I, I just feel like that's it's a lost thing nowadays where we just don't see movies that really go for something like this. I, I just, I can't see this movie being greenlit today, which is just, yeah, kind of a, a shame that, you know, movies are a little more safe around the edges. They're a little more defined as like children's movies or grown movies. And this one seems to be able to sway in both ways more than what we see now.
1: Yeah, I think, Two two notes on that. One thing I immediately think of is this is such a product of its era in a way. Like I really think the 90s was really the only time we really saw these kind of movies that like a Casper, like a Mouse Hunt or a Borrowers or a Babe Pig in the City that were these kind of, as you said, Nelson, tonal tightrope movies that were darker, but still had that storybook feel to them with a little bit of sense of humor Um, and that you know work find a way to make that really work um now it's either it's funny it's scary or it's serious you know it's it's mm-hmm. it's none of the all of the above but i think what makes this movie particularly interesting and we talked about this on the when we looked at racing stripes specifically is the marketing for this movie made it feel so slimy or what we would you know categorize as very stereotypically slimy like The poster, as Max mentioned, with, you know, the mouse with the chef's hat, Um, you know, it looks like that that in general, just like you'd think, oh, it's a mouse who's a chef like (laughs) great. That's going to be funny. But, you know, (laughs) in reality, it's like that's not what this movie is at all. Um, So I think it's a great example of people, I think, associating Slimehouse with with a lot of the marketing as opposed to the actual content of the movie. Mm-hmm. Actually, the musician Perfume Genius uh, tweeted something recently that feels very apropos for both Tom and Jerry, which we did two weeks ago, and, and this mouse hunt. He said in his tweet, when cartoon mice sleep in a little matchbox or a sardine tin, it doesn't get much better than that.
3: <laughs> which is,
1: you know, it's true. It's just so wholesome. Oh. It's so cute. It, and in this movie especially, I, I didn't put this together until this watching, like, that really humanizes the mouse. You know, before that, it's just a mouse. But when it tucks itself into bed, you're like, oh, like, that's who I'm rooting for. Not the brothers. I'm rooting for this guy. It's funny that your dad was calling us a mouse trap movie because I thought and I remember thinking
4: this movie was a tie in for that.
3: I feel like that. Yeah, the, the amount of like it could be just based on the amount of like Rube Goldberg contraptions that show up in this also just speaking of mousetrap i never saw how it was a game i always just built the contraption and let it go <laughs> and then like <laughs> i never understood the rules but
1: did we have mousetrap yeah we did no oh, i always felt like that was when we played at friends houses
3: <laughs> it's a real daycare <laughs> game i feel like it was always a daycare you
1: need mousetrap
2: Mouse trap! I guarantee it's the craziest, craziest trap you'll ever see. The first to capture everyone else's mouse is the winner. Just turn the crank and snap the bank and boot the mob right down the chute. Now watch it roll and hit the pole and knock the ball in the rubber up top, which hits the man into the fan. The trap is set.
1: Here comes the net. Ouch! Mouse trap! I guarantee it's the craziest trap you'll ever see. I I knew you were a winner. Mouse trap from Milton Bradley. All right, let's move into some slime scores and Hannah, just a quick refresher we're not rating the movie based on quality. It's based on its sliminess. So one being no slime house elements. It's really just not a slime house movie. 10 being creme de la creme slime. And I I can go first on this one since it was my, my pick. I'm actually going to give this a much lower score. Um, I kind of figured it was, it it was on the lower end, but I'm going to give this a three. It's, it's to me, it's, it's, it's a kid's, it's a slapstick kids movie, but when you watch it it's just so much darker it's so much weirder it's so much eerier you know a lot of the comedy is very Slimehouse in its spirit but at the same time it it really lacks a sense of uh color i guess there it, it, it's as we were saying before it plays it really straight it, it almost just feels like an an adult dark comedy almost like an adult poking fun at these kind of movies that kids like at this time period so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with a three but it's a it's a 10 out of 10 in my heart one thing i
4: wanted to say going off that we talked about some movies that were not originally playing house movies but turned into them like old dogs and this movie kind of felt like of that lineage i don't think it was designed to be a kids movie but at the same time it didn't feel like it had an identity crisis to it it didn't feel like it was trying to be too many things at once it felt like it was very confident in its own skin and going into my slime score then there's an edge to this movie that makes me that i think of when i think of slime house and i agree that like a, the way a lot of the humor manifests and the like the, the kind of desaturated vibe of the film the kind of like macabre nature of it brings it back a bit but like i think this movie is an alternative vision of slime house in a way Actually, I'm going to go with the sex.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm probably somewhere in the middle, and, and my score will definitely reflect that. There's a very clear sex joke in the movie. In fact, it, it's a, they he literally says, you know, we made love like animals or something like that. And I remember thinking, like, that that specific thing feels like a Slimehouse movie wouldn't directly point at that in in the sense that slime house, for a Slimehouse audience sex isn't even something they know exists yet, you know? And so the, they're for a movie to not just make like an innuendo, but to have like a, a pretty funny moment involving that, to me, kind of reminds me that the characters in this movie are grown ups. Yes, the mouse kind of occupies a, a kid's space, but there's a lot that's a lot going on here that isn't Slimehouse. And I like that alternative vision of Slimehouse, because yeah, I could see another history where you know, kids' comedies go in this darker direction. But so so all that being said, I think that it has some slimehouse moments that definitely like boost it up, but the the energy of it is definitely something different. And so I'm gonna go with a, a four all in all, which to me feels like it has a lot of the elements of it, but it it skews more towards a different type of comedy and a different type of audience and everything like that.
3: Yeah, I think I'm going to have to echo what a lot of us have said. Uh, Go back to Jasper's score, give this one a three. I think that this movie, like everyone's kind of said before me, a lot of the humor has slimy potential just in the slapstick, but the tone is not slimy at all. The themes of this movie aren't slimy. The aesthetic isn't really slimy. To me, this feels more like almost just an attempt to make kind of a classic throwback, like Laurel and Hardy movie that because those movies are like technically kid friendly this movie also is and so this movie feels more like a movie that's a pg rated comedy rather than a straight up like kids movie family movie uh i think that just a lot of the tone is too dark the slapstick even though it is there is not presented in a very slimy way so i feel like uh yeah i'd give this a three slime score but yeah a great movie a 10 out of 10 on the movie scale but
0: (laughs) cool so uh i i totally agree with everything that you guys said um i'm not sure if there's much else i could add except wording it differently um i feel like this movie isn't totally committed to one genre or the other um and i also feel like it's it was an attempt to appeal to more than one like generation of audience especially with like the themes um you know especially like the main theme of the mouse as the father's spirit trying to connect his sons like i feel like that like theme of like um like siblings like drifting apart or like family drama is not something that like kids conceptualize or like understand at a young age but i think what like bumped up my score from something lower um is you know the the attempts or like notes of like physical comedy or the grossness throughout the movie it's a four for me and then nine out of ten for just general but in the context of the pandemic it was like not a fun for me to watch because i realized it was so dark you know themes of death and just like chaos so
2: yeah i have to say these type of movies in general <laughs> stress me out sometimes like i have to like accept the fact that the house is gonna get destroyed sometimes i'm just like not the house you know which is something i've always had to, i don't know Probably some deep psychological problem, but yes, I can,
1: I can relate. A quote that Hannah and I, in reference to the house, always like is, is the old guy when they cut to the the showing and he says, "Charles Lyle Rue, <laughs> I'm actually standing in the missing LaRue. And it's again, it's like it's not a funny line; it's just how he says it.
3: Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of good delivery, just a lot of good like comic performances in this
2: movie. Actually, one of the few things that stuck with me when I first started that I thought was very funny was he tells the auctioneer to keep going no matter what. And the auctioneer really does keep going, which I think is a great gag.
0: This is kind of random, but we didn't really unpack the the cigar box.
3: Oh, yeah, the weird Fidel Castro, sending him the Fidel Castro. That's... Such a bizarre gag. <laughs> Another thing that kind of makes
2: it time weird time period. Like, that seems like
4: a joke if it was in the 50s, right? Yeah. But... Did they establish what city this takes place in? I don't think so, no. This Okay, so this reminds me of Seven then. Seven also starts off with like that heavy, ominous kind of rain pour. I think what I was getting at is, like, there's a kookiness to this movie that is so of the slime ethos that I latched onto while watching it
1: this time. But at the same time, y'all are right. <laughs> No, that's a great way to put it. I, and I think that that's why it's stuck with me for so long is that it's just so kooky and like you get reeled in by the slapstick and physical humor. But then I think as a kid, you know, when you have just VHSs, you just watch the same ones over and over again. So I I'm wondering if like the first time I watched this, I didn't think it was that great, but because we just had it and I played it on repeat, I like slowly started to understand the kookiness and the like, eccentricities of it all it just became such a a fascinating and interesting movie from a comedy standpoint and just a storytelling and like film construction standpoint
3: yeah happy birthday thank you for choosing the great film
1: you're welcome pleasure pleasure to share it and thank you hannah for jumping on hopefully have you again soon yeah hope to have you on some more more favorites oh and... good all right everyone and that's a mouse hunt an all-time favorite Hope you guys get a chance to see it. Um and next week we have another special episode, our second slime shuffle. So Jared is going to shuffle it up on the slime roulette on our letterbox watch list to determine what we will be watching next week. Have at it, Jared. Do we want a little drum roll? Here we go. And balls of fury!
3: Balls of fury! <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Is that even slime house? <laughs> <laughs> i guess we'll see <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> oh man that is so crazy this is not a movie i've seen but like i've always just thought like the fact that it exists has always just been hilarious to me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay this would want to be interesting because i feel like a lot of people still ask us like if this style of
3: movie is slime house yeah because i feel like this is always something that's always been like borderline to me or these weird like austin powers type like high concept comedies <laughs>
1: balls of fear
3: a rare f from entertainment weekly
2: so we're <laughs> in for a treat
1: and on that note thanks for joining everyone just remember as they say in mouse hunt a world without string is chaos but i will amend that statement just a little bit a world without slime a <laughs> house oh that's good yeah. very clever <laughs> alright stay <laughs> slimy y'all
3: uh. Slimehouse a podcast created by Jared Anderson Jasper Burnbaum, Max Morris and H. Nelson Tracy if you like this episode you can find more fun on slimehousepod.com our website is created by Brian Hume of Valencia Creative Company our theme music composed by Greta Russell Support this podcast at anchor.fm slash slimehousepod or by following us on social media at slimehousepod on all platforms.